chapter 10. Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, be reading the verses 1 through 24. Beginning of chapter 9, Jesus had sent out the 12 apostles to the people of Israel. Chapter 10, he sends out the 72 to the Samaritans, those who are not of the old covenant people, beginning the mission to all nations. Hear this word of our Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever, you, what, sorry, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick, sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that your spirits, sorry, do not, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to, his, to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Amen. God had a blessing to his words. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, the message of the Spirit for you this morning is very clear. 
It's a call from the Spirit, from the words of Jesus. Words of Jesus that we read in our lecture, chapter 10, verse 2. Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. It's a plentiful harvest. A spiritual harvest. Bringing in God's people, his elect people. Your responsibility, the call of the Spirit, is to pray. Pray earnestly for labors. Pray earnestly for the laborers, the primary laborers, the preachers of the word. Preachers of the Gospels. Preachers, pastors, evangelists, missionaries, teachers. And as we consider missions, to pray in particular for missionary preachers. The Spirit is calling you to pray for missionary preachers. As I've heard this past weekend, you do already pray for your missions. And we are so thankful. So the sermon will be a reminder for you, an encouragement. For some of you here, you need to learn to pray. You do pray, but you need to be praying for the missions and preachers of the gospel. But for all of us, it's a call to pray. Pray even more earnestly for preachers. Pray for missionary preachers of the gospel. I'd like to consider the Spirit's instruction to us this morning highlighting three concepts from the text. First of all, the harvest, which is great. The harvest is truly great. The labors are too few. And finally, that call of the Spirit. Pray. Pray earnestly. And some counsel and advice of how to pray, particularly for missionary preachers. The harvest is great. Jesus draws our attention to a great opportunity which is before us. He says, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is great. It is a truly great harvest before us. The chosen people of God, the adopted children of God, forms a great harvest, a great multitude that no one can count. And when you read the word harvest, I think of my youth. I grew up on a farm, a dairy farm. We had about 100 cows, a few chickens, rabbits, one horse. My dad always wanted one horse. We needed a harvest to feed all those animals, hay, corn, and wheat. But, but you realize, even the children realize, Jesus is not talking about that kind of harvest. Jesus is using the harvest as a metaphor, as a picture of the spiritual harvest, often used in scriptures. In fact, when we go through scriptures, we see that the harvest is used of an idea of judgment, the final judgment of God. But it can also have the positive sense of gathering in God's people, the gathering in of God's elect people, his disciples. As a commentator notes from this text, the eschatological gathering of God's people is regarded as taking place in the mission of the disciples. That is the final gathering of God's great people. We see it, a foretaste of it, as we bring in the flock of God, as missions preach the gospel and there are new converts. As we gather here, we're part of that great eschatological final gathering of God's people. 
Jesus, in our text, is using the idea of harvest not in the sense of a judgment, in the negative sense, but very much in the positive sense of the great gathering of God's people. A great multitude will, will be gathered in, in God's grace. This is a text I've often heard quoted. I hang out a lot with evangelical pastors in Quebec City. Some of them often refer to Quebec as great harvest that God has for us. When I read this text, I think in particular of Francois. Francois is a Pentecostal pastor. He lives out in a small village about an hour outside of Quebec City. When he refers to this text, he has zeal. He has tears in his eyes. This past summer, a small congregation, they did outreach in their community. Had some shows, some singers, teachings and altar calls. They spent $10,000 on outreach this summer. I'm like, wow. Don't always agree with Francois and his theology, but wow, do I love his zeal. He sees a harvest which I, also, I lack the same faith to see the same harvest. But maybe we need to understand a little bit more Jesus' words, because when we think of harvest, I, we need to remember, first of all, two elements here. First of all, we need to think of the harvesting in ancient days, in ancient Israel. Not modern-day harvesting practices. Some of you men here, you work in the harvesting, and I did a little bit of research on it. I learned that modern farming technologies has significantly changed our harvest, how much we can bring in each year. We have different varieties of seed. We have better fertilizer. We have better weed, pest, and disease control. Just in the last 100 years, our average crop has quadrupled four times more than 100 years ago. If you go to back to medieval period or even to ancient history, we produce six times more. So when we think of harvest, we're not looking at those pictures of the Great West with these huge fields of flowing, waving wheat or corn. It's much different. Now you may not be used, familiar with farming, but you're familiar with the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4, for instance. Jesus refers to the seed that fell on good soil and it produced grain yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So again, I did some research about Harvest in the ancient days. It noted that harvest was usually about a tenfold. You plant one kernel, you get ten back. If the rains were right, the first and the last rains, early and last rains, you could expect a harvest of about twenty to thirtyfold, as Jesus refers to it. When the rains were exceptional and there was the extra manure put onto the crops, then you could have a crop of sixty, sometimes even a hundred, but that was heard of but exceptional. Most crops were much smaller, much more modest. The kind of harvest I see in Quebec. As I presented yesterday. Harvest in Quebec, there's, it's hard soil in Quebec. Not the farming land, the spiritual hearts of the people. They're very hardened. I read an article some time ago. Before the 1970s, congregations of about 100 people could expect New converts or baptisms, depending on their churches, but new converts, baptism, children growing in the faith, maybe three, four, five in a year. During the 1970s, when the revival took place in the province of Quebec, 1970s, early 1980s, congregations began to experience 15, 20, 23 new believers every year, new converts, and that amongst the people of Quebec who had been there for four centuries. Incredible growth, a hundredfold that they were experiencing. Since the mid-80s, we're back to the small growth. A 
few converts. People leaving the faith, overall growth of about 1% in a year. So when I look at this text from Jesus, I remember that he's talking about harvesting in the ancient culture where the expectations were more modest. And yet the harvest is good and truly plentiful. And even when it's only tenfold, each grain of wheat is precious. We can put names to each one. Like Audrienne, as I mentioned, or Gabrielle. Or again, Joseph, Sophie. Or covenant children who continue in the faith like Michel and Samuel, Nadine. Each one a precious child in the truly great harvest of God. When we think about the harvest as Jesus describes it, we need to think more modest terms with respect to our day, modern practices. But we also need to think not just of the local church, we need to think of the Catholic church, as in the worldwide church, even the church that exists from all centuries. Jesus in our text is sending out 72 of his disciples 72. Just remember, Jesus is not sending out the whole multitude. No, he has selected 72. Some of your Bible texts might have reference to 70. There's a difference between the Hebrew and the Greek Septuagint. I won't go into that. But basically, they're referring back to Genesis chapter 10, where there are 72 or 70 nations referred to. Jesus is making an allusion to the nations of the world. Sending out the 72, he is sending out the mission, beginning that mission to the nations. And I remind you that chapters 9, the first verses, he sent out the 12 apostles to the people of Israel, people of the Old Covenant. Now he is sending out the 72, particularly to the Samaritans, people outside of the covenant. Even the children, you remember, the Old Testament, reading through the Old Testament, God's covenant people were limited to the people of Abraham. There was Abraham with his family, and Isaac, and Jacob. Then the 12 children, the 12 sons, the people of Israel, but always just limited to the Israelites, the covenant people. There were exceptions. The story of Ruth, the Moabites, but they were the exceptions. The great gathering in of God's people was to wait the coming of Jesus. Jesus begins that great mission here in sending out the 72, but after his death and his resurrection, he ascends into heaven. And he gives that instruction to the disciples, as we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will receive the power of the Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to St. Charles, Missouri. To think Jesus was thinking of you when he sent out his disciples. If you think back those 2,000 years, how many children of God have been brought in? It is a truly great harvest. And if Jesus doesn't come back for another century or two, how many millions, even billions, will be added to the great multitude of God's people? And then we'll truly see what we read in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and following. When the Apostle John says, he says, I behold and there was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
a multitude no one can count, a harvest that no one can fathom bringing in. This is a truly great harvest that God has prepared. What an encouragement, what a great joy for us, people of God. And so when I'm in Quebec and you count the new believers one at a time, then I'm here in the conference and I hear a brother talking about the church in China. He says, if you open up a church in six months, it'll be full. And our brother talking about the work in Iran, persecuted, the underground church is just growing even more quickly than in China. And there's a little bit of me that's jealous, you know? Send me to China. <laughs> but then I remember... We're part of the great harvest. It's not limited to just us in Quebec City or just us here in St. Charles. We are part of the truly great harvest of our Lord. God's people, a great multitude that no one can count. So here's the opportunity that Jesus puts before us, the great harvest. And then he points out that there's a problem. There's a challenge. There's an obstacle. As he says in our text, the laborers are too few. The laborers are too few. There are simply too few preachers, too few missionaries, too few evangelists. We need more preachers of the gospel. We need more missionary preachers. In the text, Jesus is referring to laborers. Laborers are those who would manually bring in the harvest. And again, we need to correct our image of harvesting. I'm not sure how many of you get out into the country and see the farmers bringing in the wheat. They got big equipment. These big combines, the big head on the front and bringing all the wheat. Take off a whole field in just a couple hours. Last year, my nephew, he worked in Alberta. The big fields, wheat fields of Alberta. He told me he worked on a farm and he would go on a tractor and head out one direction for 45 minutes turn around, head back in the other direction for 45 minutes. Those fields were just so big. And the tractor was driven, guided by GPS. He had enough time to watch an episode of Netflix. <laughs> turn the tractor around and go back. That is not the image Jesus is giving of the laborers. Although some pastors, maybe they watch a bit too much Netflix and surfing. Jesus is talking about the work in ancient cultures, bringing in the crops. Again, as I read from a commentary, in antiquity, all grain growing in ancient Israel relied on manual labor for sowing, weed control, harvesting, thrashing. It was extremely labor-intensive for the whole community. Brothers and sisters, missions is extremely labor-intensive for the whole community. Each of us, you yourself, is a laborer in Christ's harvest. He is sending you as a laborer in the harvest so that through your witness in word and deed and prayer, you can bring in the harvest of God's people. This is the answer, part of the answer to Christ's prayer, his earnest desire for laborers. It is you yourself as his witnesses predecessor of mine in Quebec, David Craig, 
I remember my early years sitting down, sitting in church listening to a sermon on Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered about, sorry, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It's talking about the first persecution of the believers. But those who were not persecuted were the apostles. They were left alone in Jerusalem. Those who were scattered were the non-ordained, non-preaching ones. And these believers went about preaching the gospel. As the pastor David Craig says, as they walked along, they talked about Jesus. And they spread the word of truth. As you walk along in your life, in your homes, and raising your children and family members, at work and co-workers, in your neighborhoods, at school, vacation, walk along and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Walk along and spread that gospel by kind deeds, showing the good work of Christ, the good work of his grace through you. And then speak the word of truth. The grace that God has given to you in Christ Jesus. You, brothers and sisters, you are the laborers in that intensive labor bringing in God's elect people. At the same time, we should not neglect that in this text, there is a specific call for specific laborers. Jesus did not send out the whole multitude that followed him. He sent out 72 And even in the text we have before us, it makes an allusion to a particular choice. Verse 1, it says that Jesus appointed 72. The word for appointed means to be installed, commissioned, to have an official role. The same verb is used in Acts chapter 1, verse 24, when Matthias is appointed as the apostle to replace Judah. Judas, sorry. Taking a French pronunciation, if you don't mind. So Jesus is referring and make allusion to the particular office of those who are called to preach the gospel. In other words, we need laborers who are ordained by Christ, recognized by the church, receiving the unction of the Spirit in their ordination to preach the gospel. We need preachers, evangelists, missionaries. We need missionary preachers. Now, the work of missions requires a lot of other administrators and Accountants, general secretaries, and we need another general secretary assistant to help Doug Clausen in his work. But the crying need is for preachers of the gospel, missionary preachers. Remember when I first sat down with Mark Bube and looking at the mission in Quebec, he told me, Ben, the question is never money. Finding the money, it comes. The real need is to find the men who can preach the gospel. Bring in the men, and the support will be there. We need, in other words, more Elishas. Elijah said, Lord, I am the only one that is left. If you read the text again, he's referring to being the only prophet. He said, they have killed all your prophets, and I only am left. I'm the last of the prophets. And so God brings Elisha. And it's interesting, as I was meditating on that text and reading forward, it's frequently in End of Kings, and particularly in Second Kings, that we refer to Elisha in the school of prophets. God responded to Elijah's cry, and he raised up many prophets for Israel, that pagan Israel. We need missionary preachers. We need them for Quebec. 
the Reformed Church of Quebec, just five congregations, three of our pulpits are vacant. We thank the Lord for two young men who are preparing for the ministry and praying that they would indeed be gifted and fully formed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. By talking to the seminary we work with, the director, he's going around in different church associations, he said there is a crisis of vocation. All the churches need more preachers and there are no young men coming up or very few young men preparing for the gospel preaching. We need to pray for missionary preachers. And I'm sure if you talk to our brother, the work in Iran, the work in India, in China, church planting in the United States, the need is for gospel preachers. The laborers are too few. We need preachers of the gospel who see the great joy and privilege of pre preaching the gospel. I read the full text here in Luke chapter 10 in part because I just want us to see that as Jesus sends out the disciples, as he even has warnings about those who refuse the gospel, there's this crescendo of joy in the text as the mission goes forward. And what a joy it is to preach the gospel. All vocations are important and glorious in the sight of God, but to preach the gospel, as we read in this text, Luke, Luke chapter 10, in verse 9, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. That in Christ Jesus died and raised, to the and raised to the glories of heaven, the kingdom of God has come. And it is coming in all his glory when Jesus returns again. To preach that this kingdom of forgiveness and righteousness in Christ Jesus, of the peace with God, to preach that good news, is there a better message to communicate? To preach in the name of Jesus and knowing that Christ himself is being heard. Verse 16, Jesus says, the one who hears you hears me. When Pastor Michael preaches, you hear his voice. But you're also hearing the voice of Jesus. Those who are called by Christ, recognized by the church and ordained of the Spirit, with the unction of the Spirit, when they speak, they are mouthpieces, ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We hear Christ through their preaching of the gospel. What a glorious vocation. Not just a preaching in the name of Christ, but also to see that Satan is subdued. We preach the gospel and we are free, freeing sinners from the guilt and shame of sin. Seeing brothers and sisters delivered from the sufferings of this world, even as God brings healing, a foretaste of our eternal healing. Delivered from the attacks of the devil, from temptations. Oh yes, they still continue, the devil's still at work, but he is a vanquished enemy. He has fallen, Christ said. And we are victorious in Christ Jesus. To preach that victory of Christ. What a glorious vocation. But then Christ reminds us as we read in verse 20. But it's more glorious yet greater joy to know that your name has been written in heaven. That as you confess Christ upon the earth. As you baptize your children and raise them in the faith. Your name is being declared before the throne of God's grace. What a great gospel we preach. But there's more. 
preaching of the gospel brings joy to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 21, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, that you reveal these things. To know that when we're preaching the gospel, we're sending out missionaries, Christ himself is filled with joy. All vocations are important. But there's a particular joy, a particular blessing, being those who are called to preach the gospel of grace. And we need more of them. The harvest is truly great, but there are too few laborers in all the harvest fields. Even in Quebec, the work is intense to bring in every, each single kernel of wheat, each believer's intense work. Paul says he planted, Apollos watered. We need people to weed and water again and prune and water again, knowing God gives the growth. But we need more missionary preachers. Harvest is great. The laborers are few. And so, brothers and sisters, as the Spirit says in our text, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray. Here's your work. Here's the call of the Spirit. You need to pray. Now, we're good Reformed Presbyterians. We know that God is wise election and predestination. He has determined already who he will be pre preaching. So why pray? Sometimes we ask that question. God already knows who from this church will be called as a preacher of the gospel. Who will preach from this pulpit? But in his ordination of all things, in his planning and choosing of all things, he has also ordained that you would pray for those workers. I'm doing doctoral studies at the university in Quebec City. They have scholarships, like free money, okay? And the director of the program, he says, I'm really disappointed because we have all this money to give away, but none of the students apply, so we can't give it to them. Well, I'm a Dutch boy, so I'm applying for scholarships. We see free money, but if I didn't ask, I don't receive. Brothers and sisters, you need to be praying for preachers because they are prepared by God. And you need to pray that the Lord would raise them up. In fact, it's interesting in the text we have before us, the word in Greek is translated prayer or pray earnestly is appreciated in this translation because typically the word for prayer is prosukomai. But here Jesus used the words deomai. Deomai is a word that says, according to lexicons and dictionaries, to feel pressing need because of a lack, hence to make urgent appeal, to have a deep personal need because causing one to beseech, to make earnest, specific requests. And so translations are right when they say, beseech the Lord of the harvest, plead with the Lord, pray earnestly to the Lord for labors. Here's your work, brothers and sisters, to pray earnestly for labors. How? Let me give you four bits of advice of how to pray. First of all, pray thankfully. Pray thankfully. Pray thankfully for the, Lord, the preachers the Lord has already raised up. Your own pastor, 
pastors of this church in past years and generations, pastors and teachers of the gospel that the Lord has brought into your life, who brought you to faith, caused you to grow in faith. Thank you, Lord, for these preachers. Thank the Lord for the missionary preachers he has given to our churches even now. We give thanks to the Lord for the missionary preachers. But pray thankfully for the missionaries he's going to bring in. The future ones. In that sense, pray with such expectation that, Lord, we pray for missionaries and we thank you that you are already preparing men for this gospel ministry. Because Christ is at the right hand of the throne of heaven. He has received the gift of the Spirit and he has poured it out on the church so that there would indeed be apostles and prophets of the first generation. And now there will be preachers and teachers of the gospel. And he has promised that and he does it. And so we say, thank you, Lord, for the missionaries that you are raising up and will give to our churches even now. Yesterday, your pastor mentioned that your church starting this missions conference some short-term goals, a mission conference, encouraging the church to pray. And then there's this longer goal that this church will send out its own missionary. That one of your men, not just the younger ones, maybe one of the older men, will be raised and trained to preach the gospel. Can I encourage you to make that not a long-term goal, but a short-term goal? To pray with such confidence and earnestness that God in the next years will call a man from this church and send him to the mission field. Brothers, pray thankfully, expectantly. Pray also specifically. Pray specifically for men. Pray for the specific missions. You've had a wonderful conference this week, reminding of the work of the Lord in Iran, India, China, Quebec. Where is that again? Up that lost corner up in the north. Here in the United States, God is working. Pray specifically for each of these missions and other missions that the Lord puts upon your heart. Make it a part of your regular prayer life. Pray specifically for the missions, for each mission, but also pray specifically for the men that the Lord may be calling. Whether in your families or your family networks, whether in this congregation, as you see young men gifted, a heart for the Lord, able to study and teach the scriptures, a desire to serve God's people, a love for the Lord, pray specifically for them. May the Lord indeed confirm the gifts he has given to them so that they would be preachers of the gospel. And don't pray for the ones you say, hey, they've got the gifts and abilities. Sometimes God takes rebellious sons he makes them great preachers. And sometimes he takes the ones who are poor at public speaking, and poor in languages. If you go back in my transcripts in university, my two lowest grades was in French and public speaking. <laughs> if God can make a donkey speak, he can get Ben Westervelt to speak in French. Pray specifically, brothers and sisters. Pray thankfully, pray specifically, and then pray regularly. Missions conference, you're going to be inspired to pray this coming week. But don't give up. Pray regularly from this pulpit. Pray regularly in your prayer groups. Pray regularly in your families. Pray regularly in your own weekly prayers. Make one day of the week, this is the day I pray for preachers of the gospel. I pray for missionaries and evangelists. I pray that God would give us new, more missionary preachers. Make it a part of your regular prayer life. 
I need to have a bookmarker or something written down as I forget. So several years ago, we had a presentation about the persecuted church in Ethiopia. I kept the little pamphlets in my Bible. Every time I read my Bible, my personal devotions, I pray for the church in Ethiopia and the persecuted Christians. Give yourself a bookmark, something on the refrigerator, on the dash of your car, something that reminds you weekly to pray for labors in the harvest. Pray thankfully, pray specifically, pray regularly, and then pray continually. This might sound like the same thing as I just said, but when the Lord raises up a preacher, he brings him into your pulpit here, or when the Lord raises up a missionary preacher and sends them out to the mission field, your work has only begun. You need to keep praying for them. Pray continually. Pray for them continually, even as they come to 10, 20, 30 years of service in the mission field. There are too many men I've seen, too many men who abandoned the pastorate, abandoned the mission field from fatigue, discouragement, falling into grievous sins. The work is hard. It's intense. It's draining. It can be discouraging. The fruit can be meager. Seeing people who converted, as our brother said this morning, and then abandoning the faith. You poured so much into them. And they throw it all away. You need to be praying earnestly and continually for the missions, for preachers of the gospel. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he wrote his letters, the epistles, I like to call them missionary letters, he often asked for prayer. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, if there was any missionary who had a lot of zeal and guts and went through hard times and kept preaching, it's the Apostle Paul. But when he writes back to the churches, even the church of Colossae, which he had never met, he says, pray for us. So I, as one of your missionaries, say pray for us, for your missionaries. Pray for your own pastor, the elders, more elders and deacons. Pray for evangelists and keep praying. Pray earnestly for the preachers of the gospel. One of the commentators on this text, he notes, mission must be built through dependence on God. And such dependence starts with prayer and ends with a sense of joy in being part of such a grand, long-standing mission. Do you see it, brothers and sisters? This grand, long-standing mission of Christ, 2,000 years and more since the beginning of creation, this long, grand-standing mission that will continue until the return of Jesus Christ, this long, grand long-standing mission which will continue into eternity with that great multitude, that truly great harvest that Christ will bring in? Do you see the vision of God, his mission? What joy to be part of it. And so transform that joy into prayer because we depend upon the Lord of the harvest to bring in his harvest, to bring in each of his children. Brothers and sisters, Pray earnestly for preachers, missionary preachers, for all preachers of the gospel. And our joy will be multiplied as we see the children of God brought in. Amen.
Let us pray. Father Almighty God, what a wonderful, wonderful mission you have set out for yourself. A glorious mission of gathering in your elect people, of gathering in the children of God, your adopted children. Lord, you could have so easily have simply left your creation aside after sin and rebellion. But in your mercy, in your amazing love, you've called out your children to salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, in your mercy and wisdom, you send out preachers of the gospel so that through preaching we might indeed hear and have faith because faith comes from hearing the word preached. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of the word from this pulpit, that you would bless our brother and our, your servant, Pastor Michael. May indeed from this pulpit many be drawn into faith and built up in the faith and equipped in the faith for the glory of your name. We thank you, Lord, for the missions, even as we heard of them this week, that you would indeed bless each of the missions that we heard about, particularly your work in China and India, Lord, in Iran, great persecution. But Lord, what a wonderful ministry. What a wonderful bringing in of the harvest that we see. Bless your work, Lord, in Quebec and also in the United States. We're not persecuted, Lord. Many take for granted the good life. But oh, we need Christ. Bless the preaching of the gospel. And Father, I pray that you would raise up from this church men, preachers of the gospel, even missionary preachers. May indeed this church see itself as a mission here in St. Charles, but also as a mission, mission-sending church, sending forth men of the gospel, sending forth men who will preach to all nations. Oh Lord, open our eyes to see the greatness of your harvest and the joy that it brings to us and to Christ our Savior. Amen.